Hey, Mama. I know getting meals on the table for your family can feel tough, especially finding weeknight-friendly meals that everyone in the family will love. There's a good chance it's why you're here, at least I hope so. Helping moms take the stress out of feeding their family is my biggest passion. It's why I share with you here, and it's why I created the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. If you've ever wished this podcast came with a weekly done-for-you dinner plan with a shopping list and meal prep tips, or maybe a recipe library with over 200 family-friendly recipes, cooking tips, how-tos, and hacks, well, it does, and it's all in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club over on Patreon. Starting at just $3 a month for access to our 200-plus recipe vault with printable PDF recipes, or $5 a month for weekly done-for-you dinner plans, plus the recipe vault and bonus podcasts every month, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club is the dinnertime solution you're looking for. Head to patreon.com slash healthymamachris or click the link in the show notes to try it out for a week free and join over 130 other busy mamas making weeknight meals work with the Healthy Mama Cooking Club. I can't wait to see you in there. All right, let's get on with the episode. I didn't grow up with a rich cooking experience. And so I didn't have that example for how to cook from grandparents. And my mom wasn't a huge cook as well. And she didn't do a lot of cooking either. So when I got to culinary school, all I really had was my love of cooking and a little of my experience learning how to cook in Italy. So today I want to be that grandma or parent who you may or may not have learned from and give you some solid cooking advice. Kitchen tips that no one taught me that might really help you to become a better cook, a safer cook, a more efficient cook, or all of the above. Does cooking feel like a struggle more often than you want to admit? Do school lunches get boring after the third week and even cereal for breakfast sometimes feels like too much effort? Let alone feeding yourself and your family meals with vegetables they'll actually eat? If you're a busy mama like me, you can probably relate. I'm Chris Dovniak and welcome to My Healthy Mama Kitchen. I'm a trained chef, culinary nutritionist, and mama of two, and I'm here to guide you in making healthy eating easy and accessible by simplifying your meal plan, demystifying meal prep, taking the stress out of weeknight dinners, and helping you learn to cook your family delicious, nutrient-dense meals along the way without spending hours in the kitchen or thousands of dollars a month at Whole Foods. In this podcast, I'm here to share my best tips, tools, and hacks for your real-life Healthy Mama kitchen with a side of humor and sometimes a little bit of spice. So grab your favorite apron and let's get cooking. Today, I have 20 different cooking tips that no one might have taught you. So some of these you might know, some of these you might not. But for those of you who don't know, I wasn't born a professional chef. (laughs) Growing up, I didn't really have an example for how to cook. I don't have memories of stirring pasta sauce in the kitchen with my Italian grandma. I don't have an Italian grandma. I do have, uh, or I did have an Irish grandma who made the most amazing scrambled eggs in the entire world and gave the best hugs, but I don't remember a lot of her cooking besides her scrambled eggs. They moved out in South when I was really young, so I don't have a lot of 
memories of her in the kitchen. And then my grandma on the other side was English and she grew up eating very plain. They didn't use a lot of seasonings and her food, though it was balanced as much as she could, was not the most interesting. Now, I did learn how to cook a little bit from my Middle Eastern great-grandmother on my mom's dad's side. I have some incredible memories of smelling the incredible Arabic spices when she would make kibbeh and just learning from her and asking her about the different ingredients she put in her food. But she passed away when I was 12. And so honestly, aside from that experience, I didn't grow up with a rich cooking experience. And so I didn't have that example for how to cook from grandparents, and my mom wasn't a huge cook as well, and she didn't do a lot of cooking either. So when I got to culinary school, all I really had was my love of cooking and a little of my experience learning how to cook in Italy, which if you listened to the intro episode to season five of the podcast, I shared a little bit about how I fell in love with cooking in Italy. So today I want to be that grandma or parent who you may or may not have learned from and give you some solid cooking advice. Kitchen tips that no one taught me that might really help you to become a better cook, a safer cook, a more efficient cook, or all of the above. So I'm not even talking about classical skills here. Some of these are going to be classical skills, There are things that we learn in culinary school, reminders that we are reminded of consistently in culinary school, in kitchens. As a reminder, I have worked in lots of professional kitchens and also as a personal chef, but I'm not coming to you as a professional chef today. I am coming to you as someone who just wants to be like, hey, did you know these things? They're going to help you to become a better cook. But before we jump in, this episode is unofficially sponsored by the brand new Healthy Mama Cooking Club. Yes, the cooking club has been around for a year, but this year we've changed things up and we're really focusing on helping you get deliciously healthy meals on the table each and every week. I will also be sharing with you tips, tools, and hacks similar to the ones that I'm sharing with you all today. So if you are interested, plans start at just $3 a month. I want it to be ridiculously affordable no-brainer. I want you to join. I want you to get the weekly emails with the weekly dinner inspiration, member-exclusive recipes, casual live cooking classes, and then if you want, bonus podcast episodes or the seasonal mix-and-match family meal plan. And there's so much more in the community as well. You have full access to me to ask me questions. It's off of social media. There's a totally separate app if you want to be able to just go on the app and not be overwhelmed by all of the other things on your computer. I'm so excited about it. So I want to mention that that is this podcast's main sponsor. So if you want to support this podcast in some small way, make sure that it keeps going. Even just $3 a month would be fantastic. And I am giving so much back to you for that. So let's go ahead and dive in to today's episode. All right, 20 kitchen tips that no one taught you, or they might not have taught you. If you've been a part of the Healthy Mama Cooking Club before, some of these are going to be a little bit redundant. They're things that I have said to you over and over again, but I hope they serve as a good reminder for all of you of things that are really important. The first one is something I talk about all the time, and I don't want you to discount its importance and how helpful it can be in the kitchen. So number one is to secure your cutting board. If 
you have a cutting board and it doesn't have those rubber edges that keeps it from slipping around the counter, you are putting yourself at risk for lots of cuts and you're also making it harder for you to chop. Every time that cutting board moves around, you're kind of chasing the food on the cutting board. So when you have a secure cutting board, it's easier to use that rocking motion that I teach you in the cooking club with that knife, which is going to be more efficient. It's going to be better for your knife and it's just going to be easier and more efficient overall and you're less likely to cut yourself. I meet a lot of moms, my own mom included for a long time, that are afraid of using knives or afraid of using bigger knives and you're actually more likely to cut yourself with a small knife on something that's too big, like using a paring knife on a sweet potato or a butternut squash versus using a bigger knife. And that brings me to tip number two. This is probably not going to come as a surprise to all of you. And funny enough, I created some controversy on Instagram about this. But you need to use a sharp knife. A sharp knife. Okay, so I posted a video on Instagram of me slicing through two, like a double side of paper with my knife, and I got a ridiculous amount of responses. Some like incredibly inappropriate responses <laughs> because I was holding a knife and I had to turn comments off. <laughs> hey, I'm not, I'm, you, you all know anyone who listens to this podcast, I'm super passionate about what I do. I have an incredible community. I love all of you, but I don't have hundreds of thousands of followers. So when I have like 30,000 uh, views on a reel and people are making inappropriate comments, it's very overwhelming. Um, and then also there are people who are like, your knife isn't sharp enough. Okay, guys, is my knife that knife that I used in that video as sharp as it could be? No, I haven't gotten it professionally sharpened in a while, but I do keep it sharpened regularly. There's two ways you can keep your knife sharpened at home, and you can also get it professionally sharpened for really inexpensive. I think people think it's really expensive to get your knife sharpened, but it's, I just got my knife sharpened at Sur La Table, and they're five, it's five dollars per knife. Five dollars per knife. So even if you just bring in your chef's knife, it's like a 48-hour turnaround at my store at least. It's $5 and your knife is going to come back sharp. And when you use a sharp knife, you are also less likely to cut yourself. You're going to be able to tackle bigger projects in the kitchen. By that, I mean like a whole butternut squash or spaghetti squash, sweet potatoes, acorn squash, any of those things as we're coming into fall. It's just before October when I'm recording this. It'll be October when you're listening to this. We love all of those fall squashes and vegetables, and they can be hard to cut. And if you stick your knife in and it gets stuck, it doesn't glide through easily, you could slip and cut yourself. And I don't want to scare you. I just want to encourage you to go cut your knife. You're also less likely to cry over your onions if your knife is sharp. It's just there's so many benefits. You're going to be more efficient when your knife is sharp because you're going to be able to glide through things. So secure your cutting board. Use a sharp knife. So like I... <laughs> I said you can go and get it professionally sharpened. I recommend two to three times a year, depending on how often you use your knife. Use the same knife over and over and over again. You want to do it basically once a season. Um, twice a year is fine if you are keeping it honed at home. So you can use either a pull-through sharpener. There's some debate on whether or not these are good for your knives, but I'd rather you have a sharp knife than not a sharp knife. I use a pull-through sharpener uh, about once every two weeks. And then you can also use a honing blade, which hones your knife. It does not sharpen it. So you still need to get your knife professionally sharpened. Um, your honing blade is that metal stick that comes in your knife block. I don't even own a knife block. I just bought my knives individually, uh, because I don't, I don't use half of them. I really only use three knives. And I think that's going to be a bonus episode or a bonus video that I add to the cooking club, because I think it's an important thing for you all to know that you don't need a dozen knives. You just need a few 
good ones. Okay, number three, we are still talking about knives and then we will move on. You need to choke your knife. Now, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> so you don't actually want to hold your knife down at the handle. It's not secure that way. You actually want to hold your knife at the end of the blade, not the tip of the blade, the end of the blade next to the handle. You want to put your thumb on one side and your forefinger curled on the other side. You don't want it underneath because you're going to cut yourself. I share exactly how to do this in the first bonus video in the cooking club. So if you want to go and see visually exactly how I do this. I share that in the first video. I do a really brief knife skills video to get started before we jump into any other cooking. Okay, so you want to choke your knife. Thumb on one side, forefinger on the other. Your knife should look like an extension of your arm. It should feel like an extension of your arm. And it feels a bit weird to hold your knife like that in the very beginning, but as you get used to it, you will find it so much more efficient. And you also want to cut in a rocking motion. So you're going to start with the tip of the knife down on the cutting board, press it down on whatever you're cutting, whether it's a carrot or a potato or kale, whatever it might be, and then push your knife forward, come back up and down. So you're actually going to be cutting with the end of your knife closest to your hand, not the tip of your knife, unless you're like slicing an onion and you need to use the tip of your knife. For the most part, you're using the heel of your knife, not the tip of your knife, okay? So basic chopping skills, basic cutting skills are going to be in the cooking club waiting for you because I think this is so important. So number one, secure your cutting board. Number two, use a sharp knife. Number three, choke your knife and cut in a rocking motion. I'm not going to repeat all of them as I go, but in terms of knife skills, if you have not been taught these three things, and I mean, people will tell you to use a sharp knife, but I'm like telling you, you need to get your knife sharpened. And people might say, oh, chop in a rocking motion. I am telling you how much easier it's going to make cooking. So if you weren't taught these three things, I want you to do them today. Tip number four. This is a huge one, and I see so many people missing this. Season every part of your dish. Don't wait until the end. It takes time for the flavors to develop in your dish, and the point of salt is to bring out the flavors in a dish, and you want each part of your dish seasoned. So when you are cooking something, a skillet meal, or you're cooking a soup or a stew, you want to put a little bit of salt on the vegetables when you cook the vegetables. It will also start to release a little bit of water from the vegetables, which will help them cook a little bit faster because it'll help them steam a little bit. Um, if you want a more browned effect, you want a little bit less salt, and you also want to make sure that there's lots of space in your pan. That's a whole other story. I'll, I'll talk about that later. Um, but in general, if you're using a, if you're doing a, a soup or a stew or a skillet meal, add salt to the vegetables, you know, the carrot, celery, onion, your mirepoix, when you put that in there, or, and, and each part of your dish, you want to season the meat before you put it in anything. Don't ever put meat in anything if it's not seasoned. Marinade is seasoning, but I'm talking about salt, sometimes pepper. I'm not a fan of putting pepper on everything. It's a very strong flavor and it overpowers really easily. Um, but you need to season every part of your dish and make sure you are tasting as you go. Obviously, if you are putting raw meat into something, you want to make sure the meat is cooked before you taste it. But other than that, you need to be tasting your dish consistently because if you just dump a bunch of salt in at the end, remember there are not there's not there has not been time for those flavors to develop. And so then it's just gonna taste salty. 
and you're probably going to add, or it might not even taste salty yet, it'll taste kind of bland, and then you add more salt in and more salt in, and then it just ends up tasting salty, and you don't really bring out many of those flavors. I'll talk a little bit more about something you can add instead of salt as well that's also going to help to bring out the brightness and the flavor in the dish, but we'll get to that in a minute. All I want you to know for this tip is season every part of your dish, don't wait until the end, and taste as you go. Tip number five, use a heavy grain salt for larger cuts of meat and a fine grain salt for things you need to dissolve fast. So something like a kosher salt, um, something that's a heavy grain salt can be used in soups and stews if it has time to dissolve. But if you want something to dissolve quickly, like in a dressing or a sauce, you want to use a fine grain salt. I recommend a fine grain sea salt. Um, and so if you're using a larger cut of meat, like a roast or a brisket or a pork loin, you definitely want to use those uh, heavy grain salts because it's going to cover a larger surface area. Tip number six, dry herbs go in first, fresh herbs go in last. This is not a hard and fast rule. There are some fresh herbs that are better put in a little bit sooner, like thyme and rosemary and sage. They're very robust and uh, they can be a lot when they're not cooked at all. However, for the most part, any of your fresh leafy greens, so parsley, cilantro, mint, dill, tarragon, any of those you want to put in at the end, and any dry herbs always, always, always go in first because they need time to bloom, to open up. Remember, they're dried. They need moisture in order for that flavor to start to develop. So dry herbs go in first, fresh herbs go in last. Tip number seven cook meat with the bone in when you can. It's not just more budget-friendly, it actually has more flavor. So we've all, or many of us, unless you're a vegan or vegetarian, you've probably had bone broth before. Why is bone broth so flavorful when it's just bones and vegetables? It's actually not the vegetables, it's the bones. They are filled with minerals. So it's not just good for you, but they're also it's also going to bring more flavor into the meat. So even if you don't want to eat that meat with a bone on, cooking it with a bone in is going to add more flavor. These are all these also tend to be fattier cuts too, so you often get a better texture. Again, even if you want to cut the fat off or cut the skin off or whatever it is before you serve it, that's totally up to you. It's going to have more flavor if you are cooking bone in skin on. Tip number eight, your soup is only as good as your base. So going back to the broth example here, you need to be using a good quality broth or stock. Homemade is over is always preferred because it's super easy and you can control the flavors yourself, but just a simple broth that tastes good. You want to, you don't have to want to drink it, but you wouldn't hate drinking it, right? You don't want it super salty. I usually use a low sodium broth or a no-sodium broth, or like I said, homemade, which I don't add any salt to, so I can control the seasoning of that dish. If you use a super salty broth, oftentimes it ends up being saltier than you want it to, and again, we don't want our food to taste salty. We want it to be well-seasoned, okay? So your soup is only as good as your base. You want a good quality broth, and then you want to make sure that you are sauteing your mirepoix first, your carrot, celery, onion. It's the base of any soup. Um, make sure you're sauteing them. Maybe get a little bit of caramelization on there. 
season them and garlic, make sure you're cooking that through as well. You don't want to burn it. You just want to cook it. And so a good base of that mirepoix, those aromatics, and then a good quality broth is going to be a good a well-tasting soup. Tip number nine, and I should have mentioned these are not in any particular order. I did talk about knives first because I'm very passionate about knives, and then the rest of these are just sort of in whatever order. Dressings are ridiculously easy to make at home. They're healthier because you can use all ingredients that you know, they're budget-friendly, and they're so easy to make. So use the three-to-one ratio as a guide, okay? three parts oil, one part vinegar. So that equates to a third of a cup of oil to two tablespoons of vinegar usually. If you want a sweeter dressing, add a half portion of sweetener. So that would be three tablespoons of oil, sorry, a third of a cup of oil, two tablespoons of vinegar, one tablespoon of sweetener. If you want a creamier, but not cream-based dressing, we're not talking about like a ranch or a blue cheese here. We can talk about that in a future episode. You can, and one that doesn't separate as much, that emulsifies better, you can use a tablespoon of mayonnaise in there as well. So use that same ratio, a third of a cup of oil, two tablespoons of vinegar or uh, citrus juice, lemon juice, lime juice, orange juice, any of those work. If you want to do a tablespoon of sweetener, you can, and then a tablespoon of mayonnaise. It is that easy. Then you can add salt, you can add herbs, you can flavor it in any way you want. So easy. You'll never buy store-bought dressing again. (laughs) I'm talking with my hands again. Tip number 10. Let's talk meat. Meat should always be removed from the fridge at least 10 to 20 minutes before cooking. Yes. Okay, I think many of us have been so scared about food safety that we have been putting cold meat in our pans and we're not getting the right sear and we're not getting the right flavor and it's not cooking the way we want it to. Friends, please take your meat out of the fridge and season it before you cook, (laughs) before you cook it. Oh my goodness. Listen, okay, you have like three to four hours food safety-wise. I am food safety certified, or I guess technically I don't think I'm food safety certified in Canada anymore because it's been a long time, but I have been food safety certified three times in two different countries. So please trust me when I tell you that you can leave your meat out at room temperature if it's really hot. You don't want to leave it out. Um, but you want it to be room temperature, okay, for about 10 to 20 minutes. It's totally safe to do this. You don't want to leave it out for longer. If your meat's like about to go bad, be smart, okay? Be smart. I don't want to give you bad advice here. Be very smart, but you have a few hours before your meat that is within its expiration time um, and hasn't already been sitting out for a long time. You have a few hours that your meat could sit out and you would be totally fine. Um, But you want to take it out 10 to 20 minutes before cooking so it comes closer to room temperature you're going to get a better sear and it's going to cook more evenly throughout. Related to this, tip number 11 is season meat early and season fish later. You want to season your meat up to a day ahead. You're kind of doing a dry brine if you cover your roast or your chicken in salt before um, like a day before and putting it in the fridge and put it in the fridge, it will absolutely change the flavor of your dish. It is so good. I only recommend this for big pieces of meat. Otherwise, you want to season them when you season or sorry, when you're resting that meat, when you're, or not resting the meat, I shouldn't say you're resting the meat because I don't want to confuse you. When you are letting it sit before cooking it. So season it, let it sit. And if there are water droplets on the top, that's because that salt is 
science infusing into your meat, you can just pat that dry a little bit because you want to make sure that you are putting that meat on your pan dry. Okay? I think that might be. That's another tip. Oops. I gave you a tip early. Just forget I said that and just, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So the second part of this is to season fish later. If you season fish or uh, seafood too early, it will get too tough. So you just want to season the fish or the seafood right before you put it in. Don't forget to season it, but season it right before you put it in or right after you put it in the pan. Tip number 12. Do not rinse your pasta. Okay, you know what? We got to back up. I forgot the first part of this tip. You need to season your pasta water like your life depends on it. Like you personally need to float in that water. Okay? (laughs) So you need to, all right, heat your water up to boiling first because salt increases the boiling point of water. If you didn't know this, there's a bonus cooking tip that no one taught you. Bring it up to a boil first. Add your salt, okay? A lot of salt, like a handful of salt. Actually, Giada De Laurentiis has a TikTok video where she showed you how she puts in, and she's got little hands, but a literal handful of salt. You, They say, they say in Italy, they say you want it to taste like the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and obviously, you're not going to taste the boiling water, but if you were to, you want it to be very salty because pasta is not naturally seasoned. And you're putting a sauce on top of it. This It's not sitting in the sauce, so it doesn't have time to infuse in that flavor. So the only opportunity you have to season your pasta is while it's in the cooking water. So number one, season your cooking water when you're cooking your pasta. Okay, bonus tip. The next tip is to don't rinse your pasta. There is an exception here, but here's why you don't, in general, want to rinse your pasta. First of all, you're going to rinse off some of that seasoning. We don't want to do that. Number two, also, by the way, you want to save some of that cooking water. You can use it to uh, thin out your sauce or thicken your sauce a little bit if you need to because there's starch in that water. Um, Give it some body and uh, it'll also season your sauce a little bit. So, Okay, save some of your cooking water. Gosh, I'm just giving you bonus tip on bonus tip here. This should have been like 25 cooking tips no one taught you, but I've lost count. I mean, I know what tip we're on, but in any case, bringing it back. You need to season your pasta water, and then you're going to drain your, you're going to save some of that pasta water. You're going to drain your pasta. Very passionate about this, you guys. I spent a summer in Italy. And then you are going to not rinse that pasta, unless it's gluten-free pasta, because gluten-free pasta, just do a little rinse, just a little one. You still want to season your pasta water just and save the pasta water, because you could use it in your sauce. You just want just a little rinse so it doesn't stick together because gluten-free pasta does tend to stick together. But you will, number one, rinse the seasoning off if you rinse your pasta. And number two, the sauce won't stick to it. You want some of that starch on there. So the sauce, whatever you put on it, whether it's a marinara sauce or a vodka sauce or an Alfredo sauce or a pesto sauce, you want it to stick on there and you need some of that starch for that. Okay. All right. Enough on pasta now. We will have a whole pasta episode. (laughs) Tip number 13. When you are sautéing or pan searing, I already mentioned this, but you didn't hear it, right? Make sure your ingredients are dry. Bone dry. What does that term even mean? Bone dry? Like if I were to take my bone out right now, it would not be dry. (laughs) This goes for veggies and meat. Please, for the 
love of Anthony Bourdain. Do not rinse your cauliflower in water. I'm like cringing saying this and toss it into a pan with hot oil. Oh no. You're going to burn yourself so bad. Have you seen my arms? Okay, if you're just a podcast listener, hop over to Instagram. Uh, this is not a ploy to just get you over an Instagram. Follow or not, up to you. I'm, I do some quirky reels, but just like watch a couple of my reels. Whenever I put my elbows up on the counter, which I do often because I lean, um, my, I'm looking at my scars right now. Maybe I'll take a picture and put it in the cooking club. My arms are covered in scars. Some of them are from working on a boat or pulling things out of the oven fast as a personal chef. Um, but I have splatters, burn splatters all up and down my arms. Um, for, because doing, I was doing things fast like this. Please don't do it. Please don't put anything wet into a pan. Yes, your meat is going to have a little bit of moisture on it and it might splatter a little bit. So be very careful. It's why you wear an apron. It's why, you know, you maybe step back a little bit, but carefully put it in the pan. Do not drop things in the pan either, please. But number one, make sure your ingredients are dry. The other reason, other than oil splattering, is your ingredients are going to sear better. They're going to sear so much better if you put them in dry. So if you're putting them in moist, then you are not creating a saute or a pan sear, you are creating a steam saute. So that liquid's going to come out and it's going to cook, but it's not going to have that beautiful sear that you're looking for, okay? So you'll avoid splattering and you'll also get that crispy texture that you're going for on the outside of your veggies or your meat. Okay, tip number 14. This goes for sauteing and also roasting. Don't overcrowd your pan for the same reason that you don't want to put anything in your pan with liquids. You're going to create liquid. Obviously, there's water in vegetables. You're going to create liquid um, and also meat. You're going to create liquid whenever you go ahead and you put something in the oven or in a pan, right? So you want that liquid to evaporate quickly. And if there's a lot of things in the pan, the water's not going to have time to evaporate quickly enough. You will not get that crispy texture you want from roasting or the crispy texture you want from sauteing either. So don't overcrowd your pan. If you want really crispy, delicious roasted vegetables, give them some space for the air to circulate around them and that water to evaporate really quickly. Tip number 15. Acid is just as important as salt. Let me say it again. Acid is just as important as salt. Now, what am I talking about when I talk about acid? I am talking about lemon juice. I'm talking about wine. I am talking, and let me just mention really quick, you want to put in any alcohol early so you cook off the alcohol. I'm not talking about finishing with alcohol, but it does count as an acid in cooking. So any sort of citrus juice, lemon juice, lime juice. I mean, you could do like orange juice if you wanted to as well, but typically I'm talking about lemon or lime juice wine, which you would put in early, any sort of vinegars as well, okay? Acids. Season your dish and bring brightness and balance to your dish in a way that salt can't. You need to salt your food. You are going to be eating less salt if you're eating less processed foods and you're just adding the salt yourself. And if you're seasoning every part of your dish, you're not going to feel as inclined to dump a bunch of salt in at the end, like I mentioned before. If your dish feels like it needs a little something, it probably needs some acid. 
if you've already put a lot of acid in and you can taste the acidity, like if there's a lot of tomato in it or a lot of lemon juice, then you might need to balance it out with something a little bit sweet or maybe a little bit of salt. But you, for the most part, soups, stews, things like that, add some lemon juice or a splash of vinegar before adding the salt and see how it rounds out the flavor of your dish. Notice how it starts to round out the flavor of your dish. Anything acidic is also really good at counteracting bitterness, so it's really great with Brussels sprouts or cabbage or kale or chard or collard greens or any of those any of those cruciferous type vegetables as well. So acid is just as important as salt. If your dish feels like it needs something, it's probably acid, not salt. Your food should be well seasoned, but not taste salty. Tip number 16. I joke about this all the time when I teach online cooking classes, but it's so true. You guys don't touch your food. Stop playing with your food. Stop it. (laughs) Okay. What I mean by this is you need to let your food cook. I think a lot of cooks who are either trying to make things happen faster in the kitchen and they're like, they won't stop touching what's in their pan or they're nervous cooks when they're learning, they're constantly touching the food in their pan. And this is such a huge mistake. It's going to take your food longer to cook. Why? Every time you move that food around, it's coming off of the heat. It's coming off of the pan. So therefore it's not cooking. Okay? So let your food sear, let your meat sear, let your tofu sear, let your food cook. It's going to get that caramelization or that Maillard reaction. Caramelization is for things that have sugar. Maillard reaction is for meat and fish and all that jazz, but that's food science that we don't need to get into today. You don't touch your food too much. Touch it when you need to. Peek, see if it's seared, right? But especially when it comes to like steak or chicken or pork or anything where you want that really beautiful sear, don't touch it. Don't open the oven too much. We know we knows what happens. <laughs> we know what happens when we open the oven door in the middle of baking. The heat, it, it releases, right? And it can mess up our baked goods. That's why we have oven lights. Same thing when you are cooking. Tip number 17. This is another mistake I see so many people make and I was never taught this. And it's so important. Read through the recipe, the entire recipe before starting to cook. Okay. This is the bonus episode, the first bonus episode in the Healthy Mama Cooking Club for a reason. It seems silly. Okay. But it's not. It's so important that you know how to read a recipe and how the reading a recipe the correct way is going to help to make you a better cook. Okay, so I want you to read the whole recipe through. That's all of the ingredients, all of the instructions. That is what is going to guide you in what's next. Okay, this is your roadmap for what you are cooking. So read the whole recipe through before starting to cook. Some people are more skilled than others in creating recipes. I have made my mistakes in the past in writing recipes, and I've learned over the years. We took a whole class on recipe development in in culinary school. So I have some knowledge of this. And a lot of people don't write recipes in the way that they should. I've got a lot of feelings on that. But if they've written the recipe correctly, it should give you a very clear guide on what you need to do. And if you read through it, you'll have an idea of where you're going with your recipe. Tip number 18, mise en place. How many times, if you're in the cooking club now, or you know, if you have been for the last year, or if you've listened to my like Cooking 101 episodes here on the podcast, how many times have you, or, or, or uh, meal prep, How many times have you heard me say mise en place? 
I've said it so many times, I say it at the beginning of every cooking class, mise en place is a French term that loosely translates into everything in its place. This is going to make you a more efficient cook so much more efficient, okay? Because what you're gonna be doing is you're gonna be doing all of your chopping, getting all of your ingredients ready to go before you put them in the pan. You're gonna be running around the kitchen less. You're less likely to burn things. It's just going to feel way more calm and organized if you get everything ready before you start cooking. You should not be chopping in the middle of cooking unless it's like chopping the herbs to go on top or like grating some Parmesan or maybe, um, you know, that sort of thing. Finishing the dish. Otherwise, you should be chilling with your glass of wine or kombucha or whatever you want to have or hanging out with your husband or wife or your kids or, I mean, pay attention to what you're cooking. Like, don't ignore it. You're still in the kitchen. In my mind, you're hanging out with your people in the kitchen while you're cooking or kick them out. Have some alone time. Read a book while (laughs) while your soup is cooking. Whatever you want to do, you don't want to be running around your kitchen. This is what's stressing you out. You running around your kitchen is one of the things that's stressing you out about cooking. So stop running around your kitchen. Kick everyone out, do your mise en place, cook your food, and then have your time to chill while your food is cooking. All right, tip number 19. Another tip that I never learned. I mean, I learned in culinary school, but I didn't learn before culinary school, and I wish somebody had told me the importance of deglazing. If I said don't forget to deglaze. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I mean? I really want you guys to tell me. If you have no idea, if you've listened to this episode and you're like, what is deglazing? Please come over. I will put a question in the cooking club. And I also want you to come over on Instagram and send me a DM if you don't know what deglazing is. I want to know how many of you don't know what deglazing is. If you know what it is, you're a chef and just don't tell no I'm just kidding you can come tell me I always want to chat with you so always come say hi um but if you don't know what a de- what deglazing is please come and tell me because I, I imagine a lot of you are not going to know what this is or you see it in a recipe and you don't know what it is or you don't know the importance of it and you skip it I feel like I could do an entire podcast episode on deglazing and the importance of deglazing but if you don't deglaze you are missing out on so much flavor. Deglazing is using some sort of liquid, usually a liquid with an acid. So this could be the wine I mentioned at the beginning that you're putting in. Um, It could be lemon juice. It could be broth or water. But that stuff stuck on the bottom of your pan after you saute those initial ingredients or sear your meat, that's called fond. But it should be called gold (laughs) because it has so much flavor in it. So what you want to do is you want to add that liquid to your pan and gently, you know, you don't want to scrape off the coating on your pan if your pan has a coating, but gently with your wooden spatula, okay, gently scrape any of that off. Most of it will come off if you add the liquid to your hot pan, right? It'll already come off. Most of that liquid is going to uh, evaporate and this is called um, cooking cooking it off or cooking it off until dry. That means that there's basically no more liquid left in the bottom of the pan and then you move on to the next step, okay? I know this might seem a little bit more high level to some of you, but basically there's stuff stuck in the bottom of your pan. You add, I'm sorry, I'm talking with my hands if you hear me like clapping. Um, I'm passionate about this, you guys. So you're just going to add a little bit of liquid, whatever you've got. A little bit of acid is helpful to get that stuff stuck on the bottom, especially if it's a meat or something like that. Um, 
that's deglazing. You are cleaning off the bottom of your pan, but you're not dumping it out that's going in your dish and it's creating so much more flavor. It's oftentimes the beginning of a sauce, like a pan sauce as well. Tip number 20. I saved this for last because this is something I have seen as a cooking instructor so many times and it makes me so sad. (laughs) I'm laughing, but you guys, you need to make sure your pan is hot before you put the food in. Please, again, for the love of Anthony Bourdain, do not put anything but bacon in a cold pan. You want to start bacon in a cold pan because that's going to render the fat. Bonus tip. I need like a ding for bonus tips. (laughs) You want to start bacon in a cold pan, but that is the exception. Okay. You want to start, you you want your pan with your oil hot before you put anything in it. You're going to get the best results from whatever you're cooking if it is hot. No, it shouldn't be smoking, but you want it hot. Hotter if you want that sear, but at least warm, more than warm, hot when you put your food in. Okay. Friends, I hope this was helpful. I hope you got at least one solid tip. Maybe you got 20. Maybe you got 25. How many bonus tips did I give? I don't know. Can you tell I'm passionate about all of this? One of the reasons I love being a cooking instructor, one of the reasons I'm so excited about bringing our casual life cooking classes to the cooking club is because I can cook alongside you. I can sort of virtually hold your hand and be like, hey, here's a tip that's going to change the way you cook. I don't expect you to remember all of these tips. I hope you took notes. But These are tips that I'm going to reinforce over and over again in the cooking club. If you want to join us over in the cooking club, I know I've mentioned it so many times, but you all, I'm very excited about it. Um, And, you know, we've been doing it for a year. We've been doing the cooking club together for a year, but it's so new and improved in the way that it's going to help you bring more ease to your meals and also increase your confidence as a cook. So if you want me to go deeper into any of these areas, come into the cooking club, leave a comment, let me know. If you want to go deeper into any one of these areas, and I'll either do a bonus podcast episode, or I will do a video on it, or we'll cover it specifically in an upcoming cooking class. The cooking club, the Healthy Mama Cooking Club, it's just patreon.com slash healthymamachris, okay? I need to actually say that. It is your all-access pass to asking me questions off of social media, in a supportive community, to getting meals on the table easier, faster, more delicious. So I hope that these tips today, whether or not you're a part of the cooking club, I am so happy that you're here. I really, really hope that these were helpful for you and you got at least a couple of good tips. If you knew all of these, then you should go to culinary school because you know some things. (laughs) But if you're anything like me and you didn't grow up cooking and you didn't grow up with experience like a lot of people that I went to culinary school had, I felt like they had a leg up and I was over there like, I took a couple cooking classes in Italy and they were like, huh, yeah, no, you have no idea what you're talking about. But you know what I do now because I've been doing this for a decade and I'm here to pass it on to all of you. So I hope this episode was helpful for all of you. It's a little bit of a longer episode today, but I hope you had fun along with me today. Go ahead and reach out over on Instagram if you have any questions or in the cooking club. You'll you'll get them answered in detail over in the cooking club. But if you have any questions, you have any comments, please reach out. 
let me know if you liked this episode. And if you loved this episode and you haven't yet left a review, friends, I'm going to do a little call out for a review. I would love for you guys to leave me a review. Maybe you can't become a part of the cooking club, but you want to support the podcast. The best way you can do that is either sharing the podcast with a friend, sharing over on Instagram, or leaving me a positive rating and review because I want to help you feel more confident and less stressed in the kitchen. And if this podcast helps you do that, that is, uh, that's my goal. All right, friends, I hope you all have a beautiful week and I will catch you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to Mommy's podcast. Friend, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Healthy Mama Kitchen podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you love to listen to podcasts. You never miss a cooking tip. If you've been loving this podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It truly makes a difference in how many other busy cooks find this show and lets me know what you're loving and want to hear more of. For show notes and links to all the recipes and tools I mentioned, head to HealthyMamaChris.com slash podcast. For daily eats, cooking tips, and family-friendly shortcut dinner ideas, be sure to follow along over on Instagram at HealthyMamaChris. Remember, cooking for your family may not always feel easy, but it can be simple.